It is important that we allow ourselves adequate time and space to deeply feel our grief and to openly express it. As we tune into the raw emotion, many of us will undergo a dark, unsettling period of despair, but we cannot allow it to erode our capacity to courageously mobilize for transformation. From the Future We Choose by Christiana Figueres. Okay, um, so welcome back to another episode of How to Eat an Elephant. Hello. So the way we're going to be doing things this week is that we'll go through some of the big events and the news that we've seen over the past few days. Um, obviously, there's quite a lot in the headlines today, especially uh, the day after Joe Biden's inauguration. Um, but there's a few more things that we think are worth talking about as well. Um, Yesterday and today, I think, are big days for environmentalists everywhere. We have very good news to share. Biden rejoined the Paris Agreement and also cancelled the construction of the Keystone pipeline. So these are huge milestones already. And I think it sets a very good precedent for his mandate and what he's going to do in the future. And it was lovely. I think, I don't know about you, but the inauguration was such uh, a good time for hope and kind of taking a time to be happy for the future that we're going to have and kind of have motivation to move forward in a way that's going to be constructive and very different from the four years we've seen <laughs> so far. One of the things I was watching it yesterday, um, it just felt so surreal. It's just kind of uh, Joe Biden, despite his flaws, and you know, there are many, Yeah, it, he just seems so much more presidential. And I, I was thinking today, I was, on, I was on, on my phone, I think I was reading the New York Times or something, and it was just so nice to not see Donald Trump in the headlines. It was nice to see something else happening, you know, something constructive. And it it felt kind of surreal at times. <laughs> and I think maybe there might be a period of readjustment for... Uh, no, for absolutely. Absolutely. I remember, I guess. Yeah, I remember telling my dad, even before he was elected, hearing a president or like someone that was, you know, not a child on screen, like not screaming weird allegations, not shouting, not being completely rational, just having a figure that's authoritative and like kind of gives you that sense of security that we like we weren't used to seeing in a while was like kind of refreshing even though as you said like he's not perfect and I, I don't think anyone is saying that but like it's such a good reason for hope in the future and one thing that I think he's doing very well is that he is listening he's very open to adjusting which is something also that shows a level of mat maturity that again <laughs> we haven't seen in a while yeah absolutely i think it's kind of difficult to say because obviously like his first few acts have been um what was it 15 executive orders 18 I something think. like that yeah. a ridiculously high number but i think within that there was a lot of cause for hope especially in uniting the cause i suppose that donald trump has done so much to divide there's lots uh, to do with the Dakota Access Pipeline and rejoining the Paris Agreement as well. And I think that as the United States is such a big contributor to global emissions, I think it's very key they're on board with this. Hopefully the Paris Agreement will become ratified by the Senate um, and actually become legally binding that way. Um, and I guess the United States has had such a tumultuous year, not only in a political sense, 
as well as sociological, um, racial yeah. uh, tensions rising throughout the year. But I think that, you know, the United States last year recorded 22 natural disasters, 262 people dead, and $95 billion in damages. This idea that climate change is a faraway issue is really changing for a lot of people very suddenly. Yeah, there was a study that said that six out of 10 Americans now are worried about climate change, which is something that before the numbers were way lower. Climate change for the longest time seemed like a very distant problem, both in space and in time. So I think it was just in recent years that we focused way more on the on 2030 as kind of the last hope before it was, oh, maybe in 50 years we're going to see changes, but we, we really don't know. And now it's becoming way more tangible. And it's very good to see that people are starting to realize how important it is as well. It's a good way to start the year. Yeah, yeah, undoubtedly. And I think while the optimism is perhaps slightly misplaced at times and so far that we should be a lot further along than where we are, yeah. I think that it is, it's nice to have the quote-unquote leader of the free world suddenly with a bit more of a presidential uh, approach and, you know, talking talking about the intersectionality of a lot of these issues as well. I mean, before we got on this call, uh, we were talking about environmental racism and how it often affects people of colour at a disproportionate rate. We look at the Dakota Access Pipeline, the uh, cultural rights that were infringed upon, uh, through the creation of that pipeline. Uh, we also look at Flint, Michigan, the amount of water pollution. And it's a, it's a very lengthy history yeah. of issues that come at the expense of people of colour in the United States. There's obviously a lot more to address in that, as well as in Kamala Harris as well. Yeah. It's good to see those kinds of, those visions being um, united. But even more than Kamala Harris, if you look at the appointments, he has appointed very, very good people. Lots of people of color, women, trans people. So he's being very great in terms of inclusivity. And that's one way to kind of not solve, but like it's a very amazing step forward to kind of even identify things that wouldn't be even considered otherwise. So even like looking at this appointment was very great. Okay, should we move to the slightly less optimistic facts before going back into the positive? The difficulty of this podcast is <laughs> that, you know, while while we are sort of very optimistic about, and like at the beginning of this new year, I think we need to summon that optimism. And that's you know why we thought the Christiana Figueres quote was so good. But I think we also do need to take some time to talk about these things in a realistic way. And sometimes, well, often with climate change, these are not very uh, optimistic stories. So uh, apologies for the slightly slightly more morose tones, but you know we still need to stay on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think being positive and optimistic doesn't necessarily mean that we should be unaware. So the main thing I think it would be impossible not to mention is that 2020 was still the highest year on record. There were 29 tropical storms in the Atlantic. And despite a 7% fall in fossil fuel burning, uh, heat trapping, carbon dioxide continued. We didn't have El Nino last year, and that usually boosts temperatures. So that makes it even more worrying because for a long time, 2016 and 2020 kind of matched the heat. But the problem is that El Nino was there in 2016 and, the, and therefore temperatures 
rose from that. So we've seen a 1.25 degree temperature increase in last year uh, in comparison to the pre-industrial period. The uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration describes El Nino as the large-scale ocean-atmosphere climate interaction linked to a period of warming in sea surface temperatures across the central and east-central equatorial Pacific. Yeah, so those are quite significant numbers as compared with uh, pre-industrial levels. When people envisage climate change, they often think of global warming, right? Those kinds of things really do frighten people, and obviously quite rightly so. When we, when we see the El Nino effect halted or not even happening at all, so the El Nino effect is quite important for sub-Saharan African region. Sudan saw floods in 2020 in September. As a result of this, we're already seeing increased pressure upon regions of the world, which are already profoundly unstable for geopolitical reasons. And even in terms of biodiversity, last year wasn't great. We started with the Australian wildfires and it kind of got worse from there. <laughs> One million species are on the brink of extinction and since... Uh, 1970, we've lost 68% of our biodiversity, which of course, as we know, has like plays an integral part in the functioning of the planet. Because I really want to make clear that it's not about getting teary-eyed about an animal that you're not going to see anymore. That, like It's not as simple. We're all part of a system and one member of that system like is not there anymore. It's an imbalance. It's not about being emotional about cute pets. I don't know if, if that's too harsh. There was a really interesting podcast about, I think it was one of the Guardian long reads about rogue introducers. So basically there were a series of introducers in the UK who would introduce butterflies to native woodlands and things like that. And lots of them were saying that conservation sees it too strictly in terms of one species, whereas we should be seeing these things in terms of ecosystem survival as opposed to species survival. I, I think that's really important, especially as 2021 is you know, the year of biodiversity. We're working up to the COP, which is focused around biodiversity. So I think really getting that quite clear is really important. Yeah, it's about yeah, thinking, as you said, about the ecosystems in a broader sense. Maybe you, you hear about like a species of spiders that you don't care about. You're like, okay, who cares if they're not there? <laughs> as long as it's the polar bears I'm yeah. on board. And so that, that's, that's very important. But talking about biodiversity, you told me something. You, you saw something on a walk recently that was quite exciting. I did, those of you who are new to the show. I'm currently based in Dublin. And this was actually on my birthday. Um, it was a really, a, a, quite a magical yeah. moment. But So that was two weeks ago and I was walking along the, the River Liffey, for people who know Dublin, goes right through the middle of the city, and I was at Houston Station and across the river and I looked and I saw a, an otter in the, uh, in the river and it was really magical. It looked at me a few times and I, ge I genuinely followed it for about two kilometers. Wasn't it I thought a it was seal? a seal initially. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it was a seal, but um, no, it wasn't <laughs> a seal. Uh, I was on a call with my, with my family at that point in a birthday chat. Yeah, shout out to my dad. He's, uh, he's a big environmentalist and he explained the significance of what I had seen as them as a cornerstone species and an indicator of river health which is it's kind of hard to believe about the Liffey but um, no, it was a really really amazing moment it reaffirmed in me a belief that you know wherever you are you can have a look out for biodiversity because it does affect all of us it really does in ways that I think are often invisible unless you really stop to consider them often maybe in ways that we don't even comprehend completely you know 
Yeah. Talking about mm-hmm. that, we there was a, an article in The Guardian recently that was quite exciting. So scientists have uh, discovered this like, little coral reef refuge off the coast of Kenya and Tanzania, where species are thriving despite the ocean warming. And they think it's due to the fact that this little refuge is getting cold water from the Kilimanjaro, and that's what helping mm-hmm. them thrive. And so it's full of dolphins. There's this species, I, I'm going to butcher the name, Colicans. They were once thought to be extinct, but swim there freely. And so, and I think that's a testament to how resilient nature is, that you can still find these little hotspots of life and how nature finds ways uh, to survive even like in the most complicated situations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, just in terms of biodiversity and things like that, I think that something that often gets overlooked is uh, ocean health. And I think that both Emma and I, that's quite a, that's a topic that's very close to our hearts on, on, on a lot of different ways. Um, but I think it's, it's, really, it's really encouraging to hear that you know, there are some parts of the ocean that are still pristine and untouched. And hopefully we're able to keep it that way because, you know, it's, they're, they're such an important ecosystem and often goes understated in, in conversations around global warming as well. We're seeing consequences now because the oceans have been working to kind of absorb what we're putting out <laughs> this, this whole time. Mm, and of course, yeah. it, it comes with different yeah. problems. So acidification and freezing temperature are huge issues. I find these stories very inspiring. So I remember watching this documentary, the, the most recent one from David Attenborough, and he was in Chernobyl. I found it so powerful how in the end it showed how nature had grown back in Chernobyl. So at the beginning kind of showed how the, the city was. At the end of the documentary showed how green it was and how species were coming back. And it sent a huge message. Nature is going to go on with or without us. Climate change deniers or people that don't take action kind of frustrate me because it's not about nature per se because nature is going to find a way. It's us. Like we are uh, limiting and decreasing our quality of life in ways that we, yeah, just to say, oh, this is, this is getting quite pessimistic. Sorry, you need to stop me when I get, <laughs> when I get too Well, I mean, yeah, dark, like, but... you're sounding, I mean, it reminds me of the meme that when, uh, you know, when at the beginning of lockdown, everyone was like, nature is returning, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, <laughs> we can do so much better than that. <laughs> I think we're going to have to be really pessimistic if we're going to look at Chernobyl as like an example of rewilding. No, I know. I know. <laughs> <You> know <but laughs> <laughs> so um, also another, uh, another thing that we have to mention, I think we're kind of like jumping all over the place here from anecdotes <laughs> to, you know, the news but i think you know a really important aspect of the show is that we want to keep it as factual as we can um so doing good research around that is really important so um there was a big study released recently called underestimating the challenges of avoiding a ghastly future by Corey j bradshaw and james ehrlich um i hadn't heard of uh bradshaw before maybe you have emma no i but i read the article you're referring to yeah, and but James Ehrlich wrote a very influential book called The Population Bomb. Um, but yeah, there's some uh, pretty heavy bits of news in there. Um, so basically, they start by reviewing the evidence that future environmental conditions will be far more dangerous than currently believed. Yeah. Um, 
they argue that the scale of threats to the biosphere and all its life forms, including humanity, is in fact so great that it is difficult to grasp for even well-informed experts. They asked what political or economic system or even leadership is prepared to handle the predicted disasters or is even capable of such action. And they also said that uh, the current way in which we discuss climate change places an extraordinary responsibility on scientists. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was very, very pessimistic reading. Also the pictures in that article. I don't know if you you guys want to go and research it for yourselves, but it's full of pictures of dead animals kind of like suffocated or like dying from air pollution or suffocated by oil. It wasn't wasn't Mm -hmm. an easy article at all. Uh, One part that I particularly liked is the fact that they said that we cannot deal with the problem keeping the system of like cl- global capitalism and this idea of constant growth. And that was quite interesting to me because it's not often talked about. It's We're still trying to kind of uh, make the two words uh, collide or intersect, but I don't think... Uh, I want I want to hear your opinion. Do you think it's possible to kind of keep the same model... Climate change has been descri- described as the biggest market failure in history insofar that capitalism wasn't able to account for the, the massive externalities that it creates in terms of pollution, uh, air pollution, you know, plastic waste, things like that. And we're only beginning to understand the myriad different ways in which it affects our health, where it affects our economies, the way it affects our politics even the way it affects geopolitics and we're only just beginning to understand that now i think that on a more practical level however i don't know the extent to which that advocating for a complete overhaul of global capitalism is helpful in so far that i think we would alienate some of the some of the um the key potentially polluters in this um generally i'd call for boycotting and divestment of a lot of people but on a more practical planning level i think that it's very very key that we don't alienate top polluters because they will they will continue regardless the 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 bps of this world have such a such a strong hold on the discourse that i don't think people properly understand whether capitalism can be compatible with green practices, I think, you know, is a very big question, but I don't know the extent to which it's a helpful way of looking at it. What do you think? I would have to agree. I've had lots of conversations with people that were trying to push that that idea of we, we need to completely change the framework, we need to completely change the way we live and and I, of course, I in a ideal wor- world, I would have to agree, yeah. like, oh, absolutely. But as you say, I don't know how constructive it is and how realistic it is, especially considering the time frame we have, because we're talking about yeah. nine years tops. Mm. And so, yeah. we, as you say, we need everyone on board. But that's 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 a big problem as well because there are people that are incredibly interested in in climate change and they know how bad it is but they maybe want a solution that i don't want to say extreme because it really isn't but like the time that we have to act that maybe will not be implemented 
And so those people yeah. are frustrated as well. I think we need to find a compromise. That's why I like talking yeah. and having conversations surrounding the, the issue is so important because even like finding a good compromise between the people that kind of want to keep the same system and move towards like a green economy and people that are uh, a bit more progressive and finding mm. a, a, like, let's say a sweet spot that would be a good achie achievement as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I think when, when you stop the conversation and kind of expect things to be completely different and don't engage in helpful discussions, that's where change doesn't really happen. Yeah, of course. And I think they kind of answer that in the article as well. I think one of the points they make is without fully appreciating and broadcasting the scale of the problems and the enormity of the solutions required, society will fail to achieve even modest sustainability goals. Yeah. And I mean, I think... I think that's I think that that is the key, you know, takeaway from this. I think that both you and I we agree that to some extent the way that global capitalism now is being presented as almost a solution to climate change, you know, just consume your way out yeah. of the problem. I think that that is very short-sighted, but it's an impossible issue because there's so many stakeholders and so many polluters. I mean, it's how to eat an elephant, yeah. right? I don't don't really know how to break this one down. Yeah, exactly. We may be started with that, a huge bite <laughs> we're gonna from <laughs> yeah. the next episodes we're gonna take it slower little small bites yeah absolutely i don't know about you Emma. i don't know how you feel about this really like when i was reading it i was like i i had to put on um had to put on some relaxing mm -hmm. music um if anyone needs some relaxing music because relaxing music is all the rage at the moment i would strongly urge you to listen to Kanko Ungaku, Ooh. Japanese ambient environmental new age music from 1980 to 1990. It's very, very relaxing Amazing. and it really got me through quite a heavy, heavy uh, article. We're going to link it in our but, Instagram um, post. I think people are going to enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I'll link it. We'll link it there. But um, I don't know how you felt like when you were reading It's important article. to know what you're facing. Looking at the other side or even for us to just talk about mm. good news it wouldn't be responsible it wouldn't be right you know you need to to know and understand the challenge you're facing to then take action and i think even if it is bleak the what we're trying to to do even with this podcast is not to sugarcoat anything or say oh everything's gonna be fine like let's hold hands it is bleak it's it's hard it's gonna be it's one of the biggest challenges of our time but now i think it's good to have the information what the article didn't have as much was a a way out kind of explaining then what we go from there because even like the the discussion about we need to to change the system Uh, yada 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 yeah okay but like wh what are you proposing it's and it's something we i think we face a lot even in our academic career yeah. it's a lot about uh identifying and highlighting the the problems and criticizing things that are there but we don't put as much energy to then find mm. solutions that we would be proud of it's it's easy to criticize and it's easy to point out faults it's way harder to then mm pick up what you what you know and kind of make something out of it yeah and i suppose that that we kind of saw that in interactions between emmanuel macron and greta thunberg Absolutely. this week maybe you want to talk a bit about a bit more yeah, about we're gonna that. get into it yeah it was something we uh 
we talked about it a lot in our talks before this. I think it was a such, such an interesting debate. So what happened was on the 11th of January, France hosted the One Planet Summit and pretty much uh, they, they decided to, do, to create an Agenda 3030. So they vowed to protect 30% of land and sea globally. And of course, there were lots, lots of talks about the importance of the biodiversity and what could be done. But Rage, I posted an Instagram post saying that pretty much it was just talk. It was a picture of this guy talking with blah, 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 blah. Biodiversity is important. Nature is important. We, everything is important. We, we need to act. But she, she pretty much lamented the fact that we've been talking for so many years. And even talking about the article we just mentioned, a report came, up, uh, came out last year and it said that we globally failed to meet as every single UN biodiversity target. So we're not improving. Like we, the data shows that change is really not happening. And Macron responded to that saying that... Um, People sometimes can be catastrophic, mm. and maybe even us, maybe we're being catastrophic in, in this episode. He didn't mention her uh, personally, but uh, he said that people tend to be fatalistic and say that everyone is going to die, and that's not really the case, and then the change doesn't happen over time. This, we thought, was a very interesting discussion because it kind of speaks on what we think needs to be done in terms of urgency and what needs to happen and how systems work. Because I don't think Macron is very wrong in saying that, especially with governments and especially with things that kind of need to have a global impact, it takes time. There needs to be a compromise in terms of the time that it takes to do something. But at the same time, I understand Greta's frustration uh, completely, I can see. I can see what mm. she means. And just a second, and then I'm gonna ask you what you think. But but what was interesting is that uh, Macron is considering funding the French oil giant Total to drill for fossil gas in the Arctic. And I understand it's such a source of frustration for activists such as Greta. And it's something that happens often: is that you see what politicians are saying and what is happening in terms of declarations and, and events. But then you also see what's happening on the ground. And those two things often don't align. The fact that there is this possibility of total drilling in the Arctic. Yeah, you're talking and you're hosting this convention, but then we see what happens. I think it's also important to highlight. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think it's I think it's a great point. I think that like a lot of the discussion is now framed around... Uh, um, a frustration on the part of politicians to really not not seem to be listening to experts on these kinds of issues. Um, in an article by Karen McVeigh published in The Guardian entitled NGOs Demand Action Not Promises as EU Accused of Failing to Protect Seas, it was revealed that 10% of Europe's seas was designated as a marine protected area in 2016. Um, but there's still evidence of bottom trawling in EU seas. To me, that's a completely insane contradiction that we have marine protected areas, which supposedly pristine areas of sea that are protected by national governments, and we still have bottom trawling, which has been shown to be completely devastating uh, for fish populations and, and things like that. And the maiden takeaway was that um, uh, NGOs such as Greenpeace, Oceania, and Client Earth um, pointed to a failure of member states to defend seas and that the, du uh, the duty fell on EU member states to achieve good environmental status in, in seas. 
And these were targets that were supposed to be hit by 2020, and they haven't been done. So at this point, it's kind of I I I obviously I'm going to be more sympathetic to to Greta Thunberg just on principle. Yeah. Um, but I think that it it does show. I think you're right. The general frustration um, on the part of civil society directed at politicians currently that there really is that quite stark Absolutely. contrast. Protecting thirty percent of land and sea sounds great. Like it's kind of hypocritical because Europe retains less than one percent of its primary forest. So it's 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 kind of problematic, especially issues were were raised by indigenous people because they are wary over the proposed expansion of protected areas as often it leads to eviction or human rights violations the fact that indigenous rights weren't included as much is also quite problematic yeah absolutely and there's also reports of the sami people in norway for those of you who don't know uh, nomadic reindeer herders um throughout uh, norway and i think into sweden as well whose lands have been infringed upon Uh, by the creation of wind turbines. Mm-hmm. They say that their reindeer won't go anywhere near uh, wind turbines. Gunbrif Retter, excuse my pronunciation, said the Sami people are not the ones who have contributed the most to climate change, but we seem to be the ones who carry its greatest burden. And I suppose that's the main failing of the political class at the moment, the disproportionate burdens that are carried by other aspects of society. However, some hope it might change. I mean, Ursula von der Leyen... Uh, announced this week that she wanted to reverse biodiversity loss by 2030 uh, in Europe. Um, so, you know, I think we're going to have to stay stay tuned on that one. Yeah. No, there's, as we said at the beginning, it's a very perceptible change is, is in shift, is there. We're going in the right direction for sure. We haven't been perfect so far. <laughs> But I don't know how good it is to just keep like being in the past and, and not uh, concentrating all of our efforts in what's to come without, of course, ignoring what, yeah. what has happened. But uh, there's great reason for hope. <laughs>